Alright, good morning, Redeemer Bible Church. Um, as you've noticed, this is an unusual circumstance. We have to meet uh, remotely, but um, I'm glad you're able to join us, and I miss seeing all your faces. But this is what we need to do this week. And um, as you know, Christmas is just around the corner, and that usually brings a lot of excitement and, and celebration. But um, I don't know if you've noticed this, I've, I've seen this in kind of Christian circles and in universal church as a whole, and sometimes even within local churches, there's a little bit of a disagreement. Um, there's this uncomfortable path we tread as, as Christmas rolls around. There's just a lot of different opinions on how we as Christians, as believers, should actually celebrate Christmas. And some would even argue if we should even celebrate Christmas at all. So if you're like uh, Charlie Brown, you know, you're depressed because commercialism has buried the true meaning of Christmas and all you can see is greed and selfishness and just kind of sucks the wind out of you. Um, some folks, on the other hand, they, they see a direct connection from every ornament, from every tradition, from every gift. It's, it's like a direct insight into the very grace and mercy of God. And then on the other hand, there's those who are offended by those same things. It seems to kind of get in their way. It seems to hinder their their idea and um, just their, their fellowship and communion with God. So you have all these differing opinions, and um, some would even argue it's just an extension of a, a pagan holiday cloaked in religious terms. So there's a lot going on, and it seems every Christmas we kind of get ramped up in these arguments. Um, Maybe, maybe that doesn't affect you, but this comes around, and it's actually good that we have some conversations about this. How do we appropriately celebrate Christmas? This is a huge event in the life, in, in the world as a whole, and so much more in the life of, of churches, of, of believers. So, again, there's a lot of good conversations that need to happen, and at the same time, we do have to realize there are some doctrines that kind of get, they've been hijacked. Um, we see this in some of our most beloved Christmas movies. Um, we have the, the classic and heartwarming A Christmas Carol. Um, but at the end, it really just offers you a, a Christless redemption. On the other end of the spectrum, you have the, the modern classic Elf. And you got to admit, it's hilarious. I mean, Will Ferrell in tights as an elf. Bob Newhart is Papa Elf. Um, the younger guys might not know who Bob Newhart is, but um, just classic comedian, and that's, that's comedy goal. It's a lot of feel-good laughter, even a sense of redemption, and living happily ever after. But again, there's absolutely no Christ. So how do we maneuver through this festive season without losing our focus and falling into these traps, or even just becoming the right way? How do we celebrate Christmas the right way? Well, before you ask how, you should celebrate Christmas, you have to ask why. Why do you celebrate Christmas? We celebrate Christmas because we all need a Savior, and that's exactly what God gave us. And celebration actually begins with reception. So that's why we have this text this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We need to receive what God has for us. And this text very clearly tells us that we, God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would receive God's gift of salvation. So again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, 
And I want to briefly remind you, um, Luke is writing very, very specifically. He's very um, technical. He's very specific. And he's writing to a specific audience. It's Theophilus. This is a, a non-Jew who wants to know exactly what's going on with this Jesus. He, he must have heard all these stories going around. And he wants to know the exact truth on what's going on with Jesus. So Luke chronicles from life to death, everything in between, specifically focusing on his ministry and, and his cross work. But ultimately, we have this very specific, historical, reliable account of, of Jesus. And very little is known about Luke, but again, it, it's just helpful to know that he's writing to a, a non-Jewish audience. And he's a superb historian. Everything is very technical, technically accurate, historically accurate. And as you go through Luke, He's very anxious to get to Jesus. That's why he's writing. But as we see in the beginning, Jesus hasn't been born yet. So he starts, and he's essentially going through looking at this from Mary's perspective. And so that's mostly chapter 1. And then as we begin this morning again, we're going to be in chapter 2. So I just want to set a little bit of the background context before we get there. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first 20 verses. And before I jump in, let's take a minute to pray. Father, again, we just thank you for this, this time, Lord, even though we cannot meet in person, I just pray that your spirit would move, you take these, these words and just bless them, uh, God, would, would your people hear your voice, Lord, would, would sinners even this morning hear your voice, would they hear your story of how you provided redemption for mankind, God, would your gospel, would your good news go forth? And would your saints be edified? Would your church truly rejoice and celebrate this Christmas season? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to begin by reading the first seven verses of, of Luke chapter 2. It says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped them in cloths and laid them in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, I don't know about you, but I think this is the most odd and unfortunate birth announcement ever. I mean, if you, how would you like that if that was your birth announcement? Put yourself in that situation, and you know, as most mothers want to call the mom that just had the baby, and they want all the details, right? They want to know name, weight, size, how did it go, how do you feel? They want all these details, and, and all you get was kind of this, this historical background, you know, all this stuff is going on. Um, it's it kind of a rough birth. We had to travel, and there was no room for us, so we had to find a place to have a baby, and, you know, we did the best we could, but, uh, you know, he, he's good now. He, he's sleeping, you know, in, in a feeding trough. That's it. That's, that's all you get as a birth announcement. That doesn't really seem the way you would want this story put out. 
Um, at least Luke does give us, he lets us know it was a baby boy in, in verse 7. Um, but really, that's only for typical historical purposes. He made sure that you knew that this newborn baby was in fact the baby that was conceived by the Holy Spirit back in chapter 1. And really, that's what makes this story just so bizarre. Mary just gave birth to God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate. And this is all we get. She gave birth. She wrapped them in cloths, which is just typical practice for newborns, and laid them in a manger because there was no room in the inn. So this is a little bit baffling, but it seems to me that it's, it's very clear the purpose of these verses isn't to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So what is the point? Point one, you need the gospel. That's the point. You need the gospel. You say, well, how do you see that? And you see it in a context. So you have to ask yourself, why, or what was going on when Mary gave birth? Well, Caesar Augustus was going on. At that time, he was the most powerful man in the most powerful nation during the most powerful time of his reign. So it's helpful to know who was Caesar Augustus. So I'll just give you a few excerpts from a few commentaries. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of the Roman Empire from 31 BC to AD 14. This man was a nephew of famed Julius Caesar. Originally, he was named Octavian, and he was the first Caesar to take the title Augustus after the Roman Senate granted it to him. The title means holy or revered. Augustus was famed as an administrative genius. Building projects abounded through the Roman Empire. His long reign was considered to be the golden age of Rome and was characterized by the peaceful stability that he brought to the empire. It was said that Augustus had found Rome brick and left her marble. One ancient city had an inscription that hailed him as the savior of the world. And whether or not he intended to, he helped usher in the age of Caesar worship. You see that more and more throughout even the New Testament. The Caesars deified themselves and became gods and expected worship. So it's pretty interesting. I mean, he, he takes on this title for himself that means holy or revered. His reign was characterized by peace. He's called the savior of the world. And he's worshipped. So go ahead and keep all that in the back of your mind for a minute. And again, that's the historical analysis. What does the actual text say about his reign and his, his authority? Is how, how is his authority displayed? Even, even how do we see it in the text? It says in verse 1, he decreed that a census should be taken. It's literally of all the world. So in his mind, if you were on the map, you were his. You might say, well, all right, that, that, that's big of him, but, you know, did he really have that power? Did he really have that authority? Did, did people actually pay attention to what this guy said? We see in verse 3, he says, And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. So apparently, this Caesar knew how to rule. He knew how to reign. And again, it's good to know Theophilus, the, the, the original recipient of this, of this book, 
Um, he knew all this very well. He was living under that during that time, so he knew what was going on with Caesar Augustus. He knew about his reign, so he had all this background information. Back to our text, again, so we have this picture. Augustus is in charge, but all this ruling and reigning would come at the expense of the nations that he conquered. Someone had to pay for all those bricks to become marble. In particular, as we see here, the enslaved Jews are included, focusing all the way down to Joseph and Mary. So this is all the, the known earth, but this is directly affecting how Jesus was born. So Luke kind of looks at the whole world, and he starts to focus it down, and he gives us names. Joseph and Mary, from Nazareth of Galilee, traveling all the way up to Bethlehem of Judea, the city of David. So we see this isn't some vacation, this isn't just some holiday traveling. This is a very difficult time, and especially for Mary. She's pregnant, this is going to be a very long, difficult, and painful journey. And so you start to get the picture. I mean, these are God's very own people, and yet they're enslaved once again. They're going to be taxed in their own land that God promised them. They needed some good news. So what about you? Now, I'm not talking politically. It would be a huge mistake to think that all the Jews' problems were political. And it would be a huge mistake to think that all your problems are political. Ultimately, the problem is sin. Mankind has rejected God as the ultimate authority and taken upon themselves to follow whatever whim comes along, whatever gives them pleasure for the moment, until the next one comes along. Even if there was a good government, we wouldn't know what to do with it. So as much as the fallout of sin can be expressed in political terms, or even nationally, or even globally, it's always, first and foremost, individually. Who can save you from your sin? You need the gospel. You need to know the good news that God has made a way for you to be saved from your sins. So in the, in the midst of all this commotion and, and upcoming taxing and, and just the, the darkness of the day, a baby is born and he's laid in the feeding trough. So again, you see this, this perspective from, from, the, from the human viewpoint, Caesar was carrying out with his plans. He knew what he was doing. He was building his empire and he was doing a good job at it, at least from the Roman perspective. But really, ultimately, God was fulfilling his own plans. His own plans from long ago. And he wasn't going to keep silent for long. It was his God that initiates the gospel. That's point two. It's God that initiates the greatest news ever known to mankind. Let me read verses 8 to 14. In the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, 
praising God and saying, Glory to time traveling with their sheep and spent certain times a year just camped out with them 24-7. So they, they would be ceremonially unclean, which is obviously taboo. They'd be looked down upon. So most respectable folks wouldn't want that to happen. They wouldn't want to take that position. So they were hired, left with hiring mostly, again, social outcasts to do their shepherding. And eventually this led to a lot of lowlights getting into shepherding because ultimately they could just kind of sneak around all night and take whatever they wanted. So that's what shepherds en ended up becoming synonymous with. But here in this text, these shepherds were not lowlifes. In fact, they were doing just as they were supposed to be doing. They were out in the fields all night, keeping their sheep safe. See, these are men who know what it takes to be a good shepherd. And this is who God sends his angel to. And again, his angels are accompanied by the very glory of the Lord shining all around them. So his angel is, is quick to calm their fears. And then he tells them the message he was sent to give. And here we have it's what we would say is the heart of Christmas. The heart of Christmas is that God gave us the gift of his son in order to save us. So who is us? The end of verse 10 says, for all the people. See, the Jews should have easily recognized their need for a Savior. They, they, the predicament that they were in was, was pretty bleak. But it was also for the Romans as well. In fact, it was for all the Gentiles. Each and every people group. Each and every person who puts their faith in this Savior, regardless of their race, will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's the heart of Christmas. And that's why this, this little baby, wrapped in, a, wrapped in claws, lying in a manger, is called Savior. He will save his people. He will deliver his people. So your sin has parted you from the holy, holy, holy God. Your sin has earned the just penalty of the wrath of God. And your sin has caused much shame. 
but there is a Savior for you. The wrath of God that you deserve, he takes it upon himself, allowing you to be found blameless in his righteousness. You are given a new life with a right relationship with God, and your shame is, is done away with forever. So that baby in the manger is the Savior, and he is the only Savior. The Savior is Christ the Lord. Now, Christ means an anointed one. So this Savior is, is unique because he was uniquely appointed by God and then sent to do his will. He was anointed as a prophet, as a priest, and a king. And this Christ is also Lord. Lord, when used of Christ, is a divine title designating that he is God. It's very clear throughout the scriptures that Jesus is God. After Pentecost, Peter, Peter preaches, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In Romans chapter 10, Paul states that you must confess Christ as Lord. That, that's part of what it means to be saved. Paul again tells Titus, he calls Jesus our God and Savior, Jesus. So that's who was born on that night. That's who was born for you. A Savior unlike any other, who is Christ the Lord. And then this, this angel gives him a sign. He says, basically, go look and see for yourself. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I'm not sure what the shepherds thought about that sign, but it would seem they didn't really have much time to think about it, because all of a sudden, an innumerable host of heaven just burst out of nowhere. They're praising God and singing, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. See, all of heaven knew what was going on. They knew what that sign meant. They, they knew what was at stake. This isn't just some cute baby in a manger. This is God in the flesh. We call it the incarnation. But you got to understand, without the incarnation, everything falls apart. There is no substitutional atonement. There's no justification. There's no salvation. Everything falls apart. Without the incarnation, even the whole Old Testament, it's it's a sham. And eventually you just have to say, ultimately God lied to us. That's not the case. See, all of heaven erupts in praise because they knew that that baby in a manger was the Savior. It was Christ the Lord. So what do you think about that sign? You know, inevitably, you're going to see it. You'll, you'll see some Christmas cards and decorations. There's nativity signs all over, or nativity scenes all over the neighborhoods. And they have that, that little baby in a manger. Does the, the cuteness of it all give you the warm and fuzzies, you know, right up along with the little penguins with their Santa hats and all that stuff? Or are you stunned with the reality that God himself came in the flesh in the most humble and helpless means possible in order to save you? I pray that you would see the glory of God in that manger scene and experience a peace that comes with faith in God's greatest gift, his Son, your Savior. Okay, so now you've, you've heard the gospel. Here's what you got to do. 
We must act on the gospel. We finished reading our text this morning. Verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that had been heard and seen, just as had been told them. So faith fuels action. And the shepherds believed what they heard and saw from the angel, so they need to go see this good news for themselves. And I want you to notice how they acted on the gospel. The shepherds acted decisively. I, mean, I, I would imagine that took a second to regain their composure, what they just went through. I mean, an angel appears out of nowhere, and all of a sudden the host of heaven appears, they're, they're, they're praising God, um, and all of a sudden it just vanishes. So they, they catch their composure, but right away they, they all agree, we've got to go, and we've got to go now, and we're not going to stop until we, we find this baby. So they acted decisively. And the shepherds also acted fast and deliberately. The text says they were in a hurry. But again, they had to search for a baby in a manger. Um, the town had no doubt been overrun with travelers, so this must have taken some time. And it must have caused quite a stir along the way. I, mean, I don't know how that practically went out. They went around knocking door to door, checking through stables. It, it, it took time, and it caused a lot of commotion but eventually, they finally, they were in a hurry, and they're being deliberate. They finally find Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus lying in a manger, just as they were told. The shepherds acted boldly and truthfully. As they're doing this, they're recounting exactly what the angel told them about who this baby really was. And whatever crowd had gathered heard that story. And again, you got to imagine a lot of people will probably give them a funny look. I mean, that, that's not normal. So finally, the shepherds acted joyfully in worship. So they, they had to get back to their lives. I mean, they had to get back to their sheep. Their sheep depended on them. They needed them. And yet, everything was different. They had seen their Savior. And they can live out their lives glorifying and praising God. I gotta ask you again, how will you act on the gospel? Maybe you've heard the baby Jesus story every Christmas. Have you acted on it? Have you decided that you're going to find this Jesus for yourself? You're gonna start start looking now, and you're not gonna you're not gonna wait around, and you're not gonna stop until you find him. I'm going to search through the scriptures. The scriptures very clearly express who this Christ is. And then when you do find him, it's not will you, it's you will. You will tell others. You will tell others of the good news you've found. As you go about your life, you're going to want to make Christ known. 
And just like the shepherds, you're, you're going to get some interesting responses. You, even in the text, they get a few different responses. They, they cause a lot of folks to wonder and, and baffled amazement, but it seems like Mary was the only one who actually took it to heart. But by the grace of God, you keep pressing on and, and giving God the glory and praise he's due. And saints this morning, that's that's the, the Christmas message. That's the, the heart of Christmas. And however you decide to celebrate Christmas, don't ever lose sight of why you celebrate Christmas. God's gift of salvation is for you. And it is for all who would believe. So receive your Savior. And then celebrate. Celebrate like the shepherds did. Celebrate like the angels did. This is God for you. As we look ahead to this, this coming week, no doubt, you know, there's just so much that needs to be done, things to get ready for. Uh, many, many folks are, are sick right now, maybe stranded at home. This is not the, the Christmas that you may have imagined or, or wanted it to be. Whatever the circumstances are, nobody can stop what God is doing. Not even Caesar Augustus could stop what God was doing. Whatever your circumstances are, your job, your lack of job, your sickness, your health, nothing is going to stop what God is doing. Your Savior has been born. This story from 2,000 years ago is just is alive and real today. We, we know that was just the beginning. We know he had to live that perfect life in our place. We know eventually he had to die in our place. We know that God accepted that. He was resurrected. He was ascended back to, to the throne. And now we're living out that, that life. That this, this is the, the time where the church celebrates Christmas. We go out and we tell the good news. We receive it, we experience it, we rejoice, we worship, we celebrate, and we tell the good news as we go. Again, in closing, how, how do you celebrate Christmas? In one sense, it's up to you, but why? If you have the why down, then the how is easy. It's, you're going to celebrate like the shepherds. You're going to celebrate like the angels. You're going to worship your God, praising Him forevermore. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this morning. God, we thank you that you did move and act on our behalf. You saw our need and you answered it the only way possible. You sent your son to be born, take on flesh, born in a captive people in a captive land. And yet you rose all above that. Father, would you just do a work in the, in the hearts of your people this morning? Would you allow us to truly see Christ as he is? allow us to worship, to celebrate. God, would you allow 
those who have never known Christ to receive him even for the first time this very morning. This simple message that's been heard so many times. God, would you make it effective and pierce hearts, pierce souls. Do your work, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.